Let's go. 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 Let's back to NBA University. Today is Sunday, January something, uh, 13th. <laughs> um, and we're going to get into just the NBA, sorry, NBA podcast, um, talk about the Brooklyn Nets and Portland Trailblazers. Um, and before we get into that, again, a quick shout out to DJ Zenas um, for the intro outro music, but we'll get into some um, sort of mid-season awards. We're about halfway for all the NBA teams, so we'll talk about who's the MVP, Rookie of the Year, Coach of the Year, all those fun awards. Um, but yeah, Zach, um, what do you want to start with first? Um, I say we just get the the big award out of the way early um, and start with the MVP. So obviously the popular pick so far has been James Harden because of how crazy he's been over the last month in particular, um, but since he started a little bit slow and the and the uh, Rockets struggled out of the gate, I'm going to still go with Giannis for midseason MVP just because he's been super consistent. He has his team at the top of the East, or at least close to the top of the East, with the Raptors kind of jockeying back and forth. Um, and it's just a he's, his name fits him perfectly. He's a freak. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, um, I don't think that's a bad pick at all. I think I agree with you on James Harden. He's been... Um, had a had a tough start as the whole team did, um, but has really picked it up lately. Uh, they're just coming off of um, they just finished up their game against the Magic, where they ended up losing, where they were winning nearly the entire game, um, despite his trying to get thirty eight and twelve. Um, so um, I think that's a bad loss for them. I know it was in Orlando, um, but if you're putting up those kind of stats and still lose to to a fringe. Um, playoff team that doesn't really have any offensive weapons um, I don't think you can be considered the MVP at this point um, and I know it's just one game but still uh, he puts up big numbers and a lot of times it doesn't end up um, them going in winning ways so for me um, I'm going to look at someone that puts up the big numbers but also puts up wins um, and has fought through a lot of injuries uh, on his team, and that's uh, Nikola Jokic. I think having the amount of injuries the Nuggets have had and still being a half game up um, of the Warriors in first place in the West um, and just a few games behind the, the Bucks and Raptors for best record in the, uh, in the NBA is really, really impressive. I mean, he's consistently right around a triple double every game um, putting it he's already had four um, 15 plus assist games this year um, just absolutely insane um, the numbers he's putting up while winning in one of the toughest conferences we've seen in a long time yeah they a lot of people haven't 
felt like he's like broken through in the MVP conversation yet, but I don't really know how you can say he hasn't because that team isn't even close to what they are right now without him. He's just a nightmare uh, offensively and just he's impossible to guard. He does so much for that team. Yeah, I mean, just the other day, um, you see him make an insane pocket pass from the wing um, of pick and roll with Jamal Murray where he's a ball handler. Um, it's just something that we haven't seen in this league. Um, and I think it's because of his physical appearance that makes him not really in the um, MVP con- um, conversations just because he's not dunking the ball. He's not um, hitting fadeaway threes. Like it's His style is so different. Um, it's We don't know how to quantify it compared to Guys like Durant, Steph Curry, Giannis, Anthony Davis, these absolute physical freaks um, compared to his just fundamental skills. um, He's just far and beyond what a seven-footer should be able to do um, with having no athleticism at all. So um, I just think what he's been doing with Denver when it's he had Millsap, Barton, and Gary Harris all out for extended periods of time to still have him in this position is absolutely insane. And and I know they just came off a, a bad loss at Phoenix. Um, but, I mean, that happens to every team. So um, that's my MVP. All right, so let's do, uh, I guess, let's go rookie of the year. Um, I hope one of us says Kevin, but I'm taking the easy way out and saying <laughs> Luka Doncic, because I think it's so obvious that he's just the unanimous rookie of the year. Um, he, there's, he's, well, I think he's second in the West in all-star voting, which doesn't say a ton because it's more of a popularity contest, but that's that's one that's very right rightfully deserved. Um, he's absolutely an all-star this year. He's been freak of nature. His step back is incredible. Uh, he just, the Mavericks were one of the worst teams in the league last year, and Lucas turned it around to at least put them in like an eight seed conversation. Uh, I don't think they'll be a playoff team, but he's a polarizing talent that I really, there's no way he doesn't get every first place vote for rookie of the year. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to go against Doncic here um, simply because of the, the numbers he's putting up, the scoring. Um, a lot of people were looking at him as sort of a 15 point scorer, the ones that were high on him. Um, and he's in the 20s, um, which is insane as a rookie. Uh, but really, a, a veteran rookie playing pro basketball since he was 16. Um, or I guess 14, but really getting into it at 16 years old. Um, so played against a lot of grown men for a long time. So this isn't anything new for him. Um, but just to, to give some arguments out there, um, DeAndre Eaton, since we recorded the Phoenix Suns podcast, he's sort of... Um, blown up a little bit, putting up some big, big time numbers, um, having a lot of 20 and 15 type of games. Um, so he's certainly worthy of the, the conversation as well as um, Jaron Jackson Jr. Um, just being in Memphis is tough to win any kind of award. Um, just talked to Mike Connolly, um, but um, he's been, been very strong and consistent for them, brings in on both sides of the floor. Uh, so I think he can sort of bring an argument on how effective he's been defensively, but 
um, how far along his shot has come um, and his ability to make plays in the, on the offensive side. Um, then obviously um, Kevin Herter had a big game um, on Friday at 29 against one of the elite defenders in Ben Sim- or Ben Simmons, <laughs> Jimmy Butler. Um, so um, he's he's up there, but there's been a ton of good good rookie play this year, um, and, and even DeAnthony Melton has been growing and and getting better every day. And Bridges, we might as well just somebody on the Suns is getting a vote or two. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who would be your? Should we do all rookie team or wait for that? Uh, let's wait for that. Okay. Um, so now let's get into um, six man of the year. Yeah. So this one, I just actually was looking around a little bit for it. Um, usually the six man of the year. I feel like every single year that I've ever watched basketball, it's either been Eric Gordon or Jamal Crawford that had argued for it. Or Lou, um, Lou Williams. Lou Williams, yeah, yeah. The, <laughs> any any microwave coming off the bench, basically. Um, but this year, the guy that I found, I think I would vote for right now, would be Spencer Dinwiddie. Um, he's averaging 17 points, two, three rebounds, say, and five assists off the bench for the Nets, who uh, we're going to talk about a little bit later, but they've also been... I think better than most people expected so far this year. And he's just a very calming presence with the ball in his hands. He's a good defender. And he's just uh, a guy that comes in and just does – he plays basketball the right way and makes good plays and pretty much does all the little things. And I think that's a perfect six man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm huge on Spencer Didwitty since his time at Colorado. I think he's brings great size to the point guard position but really understands the game and understands how to insert himself into it. Um, there's games where he's going to put up 35 points a game. Um, then there's other times where he's going to get 10 assists. So he really understands his role um, and the way the flow of the game's going and how he can impact it. So I, I really like his IQ um, and what he does for that team. Um, for me, um, I know you're going to call it a homer pick, but um, Dennis Schroeder, I think, has been – far and above what people were expecting him to be. Me included. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, he's his ability to, to come into the game and keep the level of offense where it was with Russ and Paul George out there um, it has been huge for them, and especially taking the role of Melo last year, um, which was sort of a black hole on offense. He has really turned that around. Um, become sort of a distributor, um, get into the paint, and really disrupt teams' defenses. Um, so he's been a huge surprise for a lot of people, and I think he certainly deserves it at this point to get them OKC back to the three seed um, and only just a couple games out of the Nuggets and um, Warriors. Do you have any others off the top of your head that you could throw out? Because I'm kind of struggling. The two two I thought of were Tyreek Evans and Jeremy Lin, I think, have both had pretty solid years for their teams. Um, but this year is a little weird for six-man of the year because, like, Eric Gordon started a bunch of games and um, with Chris Paul out, obviously, and I don't know, it's just not really a normal six-man year, I feel like. Yeah, I mean, someone, some others that could be considered is, uh, I think, Jonas Valanciunas um, accepting that role. 
I know with injuries he's been out, so um, it, at this point he doesn't have enough games played. But sort of given his role up to Pascal Siakam and sort of taking that in stride when he was healthy, is was he was dominating second units. Um, some other guys. Um, it is kind of a, a shallow six man, which is pretty typical because a lot of times teams have inconsistent six men. Um, Patty Mills for San Antonio. Um, that's good. We get that's six or seven names. Yeah, so I'm sure we're forgetting somebody. Uh, I can't think off the top of my head, but for me, I mean, Schroeder was has been has been awesome. Um, so, what award do you want to get to next? Oh, I might as well stay with OKC. I'm going Defensive Player of the Year, Paul George. I think he's always been a great defender. Um, I think he's even gotten a little bit better this year, which is crazy. But uh, he's always going to be top at least ten in steals. Uh, he just makes a lot of. Even if he doesn't get a steal, he's always going to bother you defensively. Um, and he just makes it really hard, especially playing that small forward position in the NBA. You're facing pretty much the best of the best every single night. Uh, and he, he can guard anyone from a point guard to a power forward and makes it basically his mission to shut them down while also still scoring 20-plus a night, which I think is incredible. Yeah, yeah, he's he's having a career year. Um, averaging career highs in a lot of different things. Uh, but I think what makes him such a, a menace defensively is his ability to get around screens and get get over them. Um, he, if, if you watch them, watch him guard a pick and roll when he's guarding the ball um, because he gets really narrow and, and slides over top of the screen and stays in front. It's something that is a skill um, that not many people have. Um, only the best defenders can do it, and he's certainly the top of the league at getting around ball screens. It, it just makes it so that you have to score on him one-on-one. Um, that's, I think, his best trait defensively is being able to avoid being screened by ducking that sort of top shoulder through the screen and staying in front. And it's going to be very difficult to score on him consistently because it's one-on-one. Um, so I like that pick. Um, and to, to give a shout-out to a teammate of his that's been phenomenal defensively is Steven Adams. Um, he's that anchor to that defense inside, um, just clogs up that paint, able to switch on screens and keep guards in front of him, um, and has been rebounding the ball like crazy. Um, so he sort of... Also, uh, oh, also highly suggest you watch his uh, stakes video. Oh. He's got a commercial for steaks, and it's pretty freaking good. So if you want to watch it and laugh for a few seconds, definitely do that. Oh, that is that is the best commercial I've ever seen. <laughs> Sitting on the back of a pickup truck, truck in the middle of a farm and talking about how many bloody steaks he eats, mate. Yeah, with beef written on a basketball. <laughs> That's a special guy. We got He's got to be in the NBA forever. I, don't, I just need to see videos of him doing whatever he wants. He's got to be the most liked player in the NBA, right? <laughs> and, I mean, a big guy coming out of Pittsburgh that nobody knew about, like, just OKC kind of takes a shot because he's big, at, like, just physical guy, can make some plays, and now he's turned into easily one of the best centers in the NBA. Yeah. Well, um, after after reading his book, My Life, My Fight, 
Um, I recommend that to anybody. Um, learning about his work ethic is insane. Um, since he was 14, sort of in the gym at 5.30 every morning with Kenny McFadden, um, working on his game, it's insane. And, and something I didn't know was he works on moves um, and doesn't bring them to the game until um, he feels like he's perfected it. Um, so something that he's brought to his game about a year ago was that sort of floater in the paint. Um, that's something he's been working on since he got to OKC um, and really brought it into his, like, his fourth year. Um, so he has a mid-range jump shot um, that he's been working on for a while. So that's something that I wouldn't be surprised to see him start shooting in, in the next years to come. So um, look out for Steven Adams to just to keep exploding because of the, his work ethic. Um, but defensive player for the year for me, um, I guess I just because Paul George was mine as well, but to give someone else, um, Kawhi Leonard, um, someone who's won it before and has come back from uh, sort of a mysterious injury in his quad, but has played better than when he left. Um, so he's just been consistent for Toronto, playing not every game, but every game he does play, he's bringing it on both sides of the floor. So you want to want to do a most improved player also? Yep, and I think we have the same one. Have at it. So my most improved is uh, De'Aaron Fox. Um, I think he's t- taken massive leaps from his rookie year to sophomore year. And I know typically most improved comes to a player that's come back from injury or has been in the league for a little while and taken a, a big step up in responsibility, but um, what De'Aaron Fox has done for Sacramento has been massive. His, his jump shot has com- completely improved, um, still brings it every day defensively, has that sort of Westbrook men- mentality, um, and he's just um, taking the lead by storm right now. Yeah, I mean, he's got chase down block highlights, he's got... Uh, broken ankle highlights he's got dunk highlights he's got jump shot highlights so from someone that pretty much at Kentucky was just a very fast guard that was hard to stay in front of to now a pretty much all-around player great defender in college too but even got better as a defender now um, and really completed his game and I only can see him getting better and better each year Um, I think the only only other player you could argue is Pascal Siakam from Toronto just because kind of off-the-radar player that has – last year he was pretty solid, but this year he's just taken leaps and bounds. And honestly, I think you could argue he might be the second most important player on Toronto this year. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, second or third with Leonard and Lowry. But, um, yeah, he's he's one of my favorite players. Um, I know it's a big shock when he got drafted first round um, by the, the Raptors, but what a draft pick that was. Um, a big that brings energy, plays defense, and can grab a rebound and go. Um, so, yeah, he's he's coming a long way um, since his days in New Mexico, or New Mexico State. Um, now let's get into Coach of the Year. Yeah, so I got uh, Coach Bud from Milwaukee. Um, I think Milwaukee had had the talent last year to be really good. I think they just needed a little bit of help. 
Um, and I think Bud has put in a perfect offensive system for him. They really get Giannis out and running in the open space. And there's honestly, there might not be anyone harder to guard in open space than him just because of his length and the strides he takes and everything. We already talked about it, but he'll dunk on you before you even realize he's got the ball above your head. Um, and it's, I think Bud has a lot to do with why they are where they are right now. Um, just getting the most out of that roster. Yeah, they. I mean, they've taken huge leaps offensively. Um, they've only they only take three or four percent of their shots uh, from mid range. Um, so it's either a three or a dunk or in, inside the paint. Um, so I mean, they're they're trying to become more and more efficient offensively, and with a team with that much length and def- defensive players, um, that only. Uh, makes them even more efficient. So uh, that that team is really good because of Bud. Um, but for me, um, someone who people some people were calling for his job last season, uh, but had a huge turnaround is Mike Malone of Denver. Um, again, the injuries being out first, and being in first place in the West. Um, he's just doing a lot of good things and getting this team to defend. Um, having Jokic who. His first couple of years in the league um, just was atrocious defensively, um, but has become sort of an average defender, which is a huge, huge leap for him. Um, and as a team, being one of the best defensive teams in the league. Um, so w- with those amount of changes in, in one season, um, with very little personnel changes, um, I think it's huge for Denver. Um Executive of the year. Um, how about uh, Masai Ujiri from uh, Toronto? <laughs> Just because is he even the executive or he's is he the owner? No, he's a, he's the GM. Yeah. yeah, that's what I thought. Um, just because he put together, well, obviously he gets rid of DeRozan, gets Kawhi back in return. Um, I don't know. I I think a lot of people were ready to. That was either going to be a make-or-break deal for him. If Kawhi didn't pan out, say if he was bad, or even if he leaves after this year, I think people would have been really upset with that. But it's working out really well so far. Um, and he also made the move getting rid of Casey and hiring Nick Nurse, and they have the one seed in the East right now. So although they didn't make anything crazy happen, um, I think they he, he got the team better. They're first in the East, and he kind of staved off the rebellion a little bit. Yeah, that's a that's a bold trade that he made, um, especially how close Demar and Kyle were to Dwayne Casey. So, um, getting rid of Dwayne, getting rid of Demar, um, but re-signing Fred Van Fleet, I think that's a huge move. Um, and getting Kawhi and Danny Green, um, I think that's an underrated part. While keeping Nah, he's a North Carolina guy. He doesn't count. <laughs> but to to only give up Jakob Poldel. Um, and keep OG and um, Pascal Siakam in that deal was, I think that was a really, really good move. Um, but for me, uh, again, you're going to call it a homer pick, but Sam Presti. Um, getting something out of Mello um, that can play basketball was huge, let alone getting Dennis Schroeder. I mean, getting that, and then even getting Timotei Luau Caribou, just getting another wing. Um, these are huge moves um, without giving up much in return. Uh, and then 
signing Nerlens Noel, uh, I think, was one of the most underrated offseason signings. For not a lot, too. Really? <laughs> um, I mean, it was a bargain. With that, with their salary the way it was, for them to bring in anybody um, off of free agent signing was huge. Um, he re-signed Jeremy Grant, too, right? Yep, and re-signed That was Jeremy. a big one, I thought. I mean, and Jeremy Grant's a guy hitting the conversation for most improved. Um, his jump shot is from where he was in Syracuse, where he couldn't shoot outside the paint, um, to where he's consistently knocking down corner threes. Yeah, I mean, what he was able to do this summer, and even bring back Raymond Felton, if anything were to happen, Dennis Schroeder, still have a really, really good, capable backup point guard. Um, so, and then the development of Terrence Ferguson um, from year one to year two was huge. And then getting Hamadou Diallo in the draft, um, who's been a huge surprise for them. I think Sam Presti sort of nailed this summer. Yeah, he's pretty much a wizard, and I'm kind of expecting the Thunder to sign either Bryce Harper or Manny Machado this offseason. That's pretty much the way I think of him. So, yeah, that's for, all that needs to be said about that. For like a 10 year, $100 million yeah. deal, like something that's yeah. completely. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, and, and we didn't even mention re signing Paul George. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's probably important too, right? Yeah. To, <laughs> To re-sign an MVP who said he wants to be in L.A. Um, is amazing. I don't know if he's got him under a spell or something, but um, what he's able to do um, in a small market. There, there was also no doubt about it, too. Like, Paul George was so dead set on re-signing that contract that, like, L.A. didn't even have a shot. He didn't even take a meeting with him. It was just yeah. <laughs> he's re-signing. And, um, I got to give a lot of credit for to Russ for that too though oh yeah yeah um I think the um and the way again to bring up that book Stephen Adams book um the way Oklahoma City treats their players is um second to none I mean they really bring that first class organization there um so I think that's that's one of the one of the biggest things um is the way they treat their players they give them a voice they let them do the things that they want to do outside of basketball. Um, so if they want to do some sort of charity, like Russ's Why Not Foundation, Stephen Adams Camps in New Zealand, um, he let, he let them. And another a testament to that organization is to retire Nick Collison's number. Um, someone who's never really considered as an all-star, um, but constantly did everything right for that organization for his entire career. So... Um, just shout out to them for doing that. Yeah, first number they're ever retiring too, right? So definitely yeah. like they're the class act of the organization for a long time that they think should go in their rafters says a lot. Yeah, and I think that says a lot to people coming into the organization. Um, I think as a player, you see that you're valued no matter what type of role you have. Um, and I think that's why you see so many role players thrive there um, because they feel like they're, they're valued. Um, a lot of times that doesn't happen in the NBA. But yeah, I think that that wraps up. Um, Good, because I got no other awards to give. <laughs> yeah, I don't think there's any other ones. I mean, should be a, there used to be a comeback player of the year, which no. Derrick Rose, there we go, done. Done. <laughs> or Kawhi Leonard, but. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> All right, short break here, and then we'll get into the Portland Trailblazers.
So the Portland Trailblazers um, actually currently playing um, at the um, Denver Nuggets right now. Um, they're in a close one with them. Um, but to go over their sort of personnel, um, they start obviously in the backcourt, Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum. Um, and then Mo Harkless at the small forward with Alfred Camino and Yusuf Nurkic. Um, sort of in their front court with Evan Turner, Seth Curry, Myers Leonard, Zach Collins, and a little bit of Nick Stoutkis coming off the bench as their rotation. So what do you think of these guys? Um, yeah, so obviously when you think of Portland, the first thing you think of is Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum. Um, probably <laughs> to the casual basketball fan, I'm not even sure they could name any other players on Portland. Um, but two guys that I personally – I hate the conversation of should we break up those guys because, first of all, I understand they're not winning championships, but the West is loaded. We've said that a million times, and it always has been loaded for the last few years, especially since Dame and CJ have really gotten going. Um, and they're consistently within the top five teams in the West. And, like, right now they're, what, I think third third best in the West? Fourth. Um, fourth, so uh, – I, I think that duo works perfectly fine together. I know they're not winning championships, but seriously, you have to build something incredibly special to win championships. And they're not very far from it if they could just find one. They're trying like crazy to recruit people there. I know, I, like Mello, they tried. I'm yeah. glad they didn't, honestly. Seriously. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of those two guys. And then I think Nurkic is one of the better bigs that pretty much nobody ever talks about. Um, I think he just fits really well with that team. He's a great screener, getting better defensively. He's put up some 20-rebound games already. I think when we tried to do this the first time, he had some huge game, right? Like yeah, 28 rebounds or something. He had the game of 24 points, 23 rebounds, 7 assists, um, 5 steals and 5 blocks. The first person ever to have that um, stat line, that high of a stat line in all categories. Yeah, and then the only other thing I would say is that um, I think they've consistently struggled to try to find a bench to help CJ and Dame and at least just take some minutes away. Um, I think they addressed it a little bit this year, and I think it's better than last year, but I still don't think they're quite where they need to be to be super competitive. Yeah, um, and, and to touch a little bit on your point of them splitting up, uh, I don't get it either. I mean, in the era that they've been together, um, they've – I, it was the tail end of the Miami Heat, San Antonio Spurs run, and then right after that was the Warriors. So to um, break them up to get something that could beat one of those teams, I don't think would ever happen. So um, staying put, keeping these guys there, staying loyal to your players is more important than trying to beat some historic teams. Um, and also, super shout out to them for getting Damian Lillard from Weber State and CJ McCollum from Lehigh. Like, not a lot of people can take a risk on a really small school guy like that and just nail it twice. Yeah, absolutely. And CJ or Damian was the eighth pick, I think, and CJ was the tenth. Um, so, big time scout um, scouting there from them. Um, but yeah, I mean, their bench has always been the the biggest problem. 
Um, I think the Wings um, sort of coincide with that. They tried to sign Evan Turner. I mean, they did sign him, but trying to make up for that wing um, and re-signing Mo Harkless to sort of get consistency there. Uh, but they really need help on the wing. Uh, Alfred Camino, um, although he plays the wings for the four, um, doesn't really bring anything offensively. Uh, and then this summer, uh, try to bring in a lot of shooting with Stalkis, uh, Seth Curry, um, guys like that, and then drafting Gary Trent Jr., um, Anthony Simons, um, just a bunch of guys that can shoot the ball, although Simons is more of a, a track, uh, slasher. Um, but I do think they need length uh, on the wing and eventually get out of Myers Leonard's contract. <laughs> um, um, I, I mean, at least I'll just hit on it really quick, but uh, I was – Obviously, as a Duke fan, you'd think I'm a big fan of all the players, but Michael knows better than anyone. That's very rarely ever the case. Um, and Gary Trent Jr. last year was someone that drove me bananas. Um, in the NBA, I mean, he's a huge body for a guard. Like, he's very strong, huge shoulders. Um, I, I think he could be a really good guard. I don't think he ever will be a really good guard because, one, he basically turned himself just into a standstill shooter um, and doesn't care to play a lick of defense and cannot dribble you know that better than anybody but I, I told you that a thousand times as soon as he puts the ball on the ground you win as a defender um and then uh the rest of their guards i mean simons is a super project like he's a young kid that nobody really knows anything about hasn't like he could mature into someone incredible he could just stay where he is the rest of his career i don't think anyone's really comfortable saying either one and then wade baldwin out of andy's like Someone that they nobody's really been able to get a ton out of yet. Um, another like strong physical guard, really athletic, but hasn't. I thought he was going to be pretty good, honestly, and he hasn't really gotten there yet. So, I, and then you have the shooters you mentioned, plus Damon CJ. So I feel like that, like they're trying to. They're obviously looking for this one player because everyone they take seems like they fit the same type of mold, and I feel like they just keep pretty much whiffing on it. Even with their bigs, like they have Swanigan and. Uh, Leonard and then uh, who Zach Collins, who are all just like the same shooting power forwards. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. They're they're just trying to stay to their identity, um, and I get that. Um, the Bucks do it. They just draft whoever has the longest wingspan in their draft <laughs> range. <laughs> um, but I think they just need to bring some sort of um, dynamic to the wing. Uh, if they can get some sort of wing scorer. Um, that doesn't even have to be someone that is very good with just them initiating the offense, but someone sort of catching can attack the closeout, the secondary attacker. Um, I think that's what they're really missing. And it, it's funny that we left out only one player um, on their cap sheet, and that is Jake Lehman. <laughs> Laser Lehman. <laughs> Um, was actually surprisingly being really effective. Um, I know a lot of Blazers writers, bloggers, uh, Blazers fans um, prefer to see Layman over Harkless at this point because he's more effective. Um, but he, he has had a solid year, um, up and down with minutes. Um, but when he is playing, um, is a good shooter um, and just hustles, just plays hard. Uh, and that, that gets you a lot. A lot of places, um, but.
but yeah, I mean, for them, I really do think they need someone on the wing. Yeah, so you want to just engage in some prospects and stuff? Yeah, yeah. Um, so for just to break down their draft, um, so they have their own pick, um, which I think they're going to make the playoffs. So I see them anywhere from 15 to 25. Um, they're the four seed right now, and I think they're going to stay around that range, that four to six range in the playoffs. Um, and then they don't have a second-round pick. So they only have one pick this year, sort of end of the first round. So who do you think would fit for them? Um, I didn't necessarily go with the wing scorer. Uh, kind of just went with another big body. Um, but two guys, I think, uh, if they finish much worse than they are right now, I think Rui would be a guy that would be interesting there just as a ball handler and uh, athletic wing that, I mean, he's not going to shoot it lights out and help you score too much, but... He's going to do all the little things and help you out big time. Um, but the one I would like to see most in Portland would be P.J. Washington, just because um, we didn't talk about it this time. But the last time we recorded this podcast, we talked about them losing Ed Davis. Um, and that was obviously a big loss for them. But P.J. is not going to fill that role defensively necessarily. Um, but he can guard multiple positions. He can make it tough on defenders. He's super athletic, uh, really good rebounder and very good handler of the ball for uh, a big guy on offense. So I would love to see him involved with, with Damon CJ and then even run some pick and rolls himself with uh, Nurkic. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like, see, I would like to see PJ Washington there um, because I believe Alfred Gamino's deal is up. Yeah. So if they can't resign him, someone can sort of take that um, sort of stretch for position and I, I do like um, Rui there as well, giving them some size in the wing um, and size and strength. Uh, for me, I looked at um, internationally um, just because of how bad their cap sheet is, um, bringing in a rookie that might not make a huge impact, um, similar to the way Simons is just sort of playing the G League right now um, and just getting reps there. Um, I was thinking Sekou at Dumboya. Um, he's an international player from France, um, six, eight long athletic, um, plays consistently with the ball in his hands, almost plays like a point forward, um, overseas right now, um, has a ton of skill, um, turns it over a lot right now, but that's just cause he's so young. Uh, I think he's only 18. Um, but his shot has come huge, huge leaps and bounds since, um, he really started playing basketball early uh, or late. Um, I think he was like 14 or 15. Um, so he's really come along and has a crazy good work ethic. So I think if they can develop him overseas for a year, bring him over when their cap sheet looks a little bit better, um, I think he could be dynamic for them. Uh, another guy I looked at was DeAndre Hunter. Um, obviously brings size and defense. And then Chris Wilkes from UCLA. And if somehow they drop off or he falls, Jared Culver, I think, would be a great fit there. Yeah, I think international would be a good way to go, not even because of cap space, but just because the players you mentioned, so like Hunter, uh, Culver, even like Keldon Johnson, um, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, those type of guys, I think they would have to be like eight seed at best in order to get those guys. Right. Um, just because I think they're like, I think they I think they have to be lottery picks, honestly, most of them. Um, and then like a guy like Chris Wilkes, I think 
if they get to like the 28 range, that could be a good pick. But I think in like the low 20s, Chris Wilkes is a little bit of a reach just because I don't, you don't really know what you're getting on a night to night basis with him. Um, so I, I think international would be a really solid way for them to go beyond just the cap space reasons. Yeah, it's just so hard to predict at this point with the West where they're going to end up. So I try to go sort of the spectrum of right. um, Sekou and DeAndre sort of the, and Jarrett sort of the bottom part if they sort of fell off around the 14 range. Um, and realistically, just get them someone that, like, best player available type to just make CJ and Dame a little bit easier, their job a little bit easier. Yeah, I mean, absolutely take the best player available. Um, but then I also threw out for them someone to an undrafted free agent. Last time we talked a little bit about was Juwan Morgan from Indiana, another just playmaker that could play the four um, for them. So... Draymond Green Jr., I'm telling you, I'm signing my name to him. <laughs> yeah, I think he'll be he'll be a really solid NBA player if he's in the right position, in the right team. Um, but what free agents you got? Um, so I kind of went with the uh, wing guys a little bit and also a backup guard here, but two guys I had my eye on were Markeith Morris and Terry Rozier. Um, I also think you could throw in a guy like Jeff Green or Wilson Chandler there um, as like an older veteran type that uh, just as a, as a scorer really to help off the wing. Probably both guys that could either start and play like 20 minutes or come off the bench and just help that second unit a big time, give them a big time boost. Yeah, yeah, I definitely like those for me. Um, so <clears throat> Dream would be Kawhi Leonard. Um, reach, someone they would reach for would be Clay Thompson. Um, and again, this they, there would have to be um, – moves to happen before this for them to sign those guys. Um, then someone that they could realistically get um, if he's willing to take a pay cut would be uh, Nikola Miritich. Um, and then sort of some other guys that I liked would be Boyan Bogdanovich and Danny Green. Um, just some 3 and D type of players. Uh, Boyan's been sort of underrated this year on his defense, so I think he could bring a lot to them. Yeah, I think any of those guys could definitely help them. Again, I, I don't think they're far from being a legit contender um, with the, the power of Damian and CJ. I just think any help you can give them, especially to, to score it, um, just because their wings are not really known as scorers at all, pretty much besides Jake. Um, even though KD did say Jake should start, that I, hasn't happened since <laughs> earlier on in the year. But, um, yeah, I think they, they definitely could use some wing help and some some more like 3-4 types um, just because they start, what, Al Farouk starts at the 4 for them now, right? Yep. Yeah, so I got like, again, P.J. Washington I think would be an absolute home run in the draft. For sure. Um, but, yeah, that's good on Portland. Um, we're going to jump right into the Brooklyn Nets. So... Personnel right now, um, sort of start D'Angelo Russell, 
at the point guard, Joe Harris, um, Rondé House Jefferson, um, and then so their their lineups have been changing um, because of health. But right now it's Rodion's Kirkix and Jared Allen with um, Spencer Dinwiddie. Jared Dudley will start sometimes. Uh, Damari Carroll, um, Ed Davis, and Shabazz Napier as their rotation right now. Um, so what do you think of these guys? Yeah, I, I think they have really good pieces in place, honestly. Um, we already hit on Dinwiddie a little bit, but I think he's a, a bona fide superstar. Uh, he just does everything right. He's going to make the right play. He's going to defend like crazy. Um, just the type of guy you really want on your team. And then you compare him with guys like Jared Allen and D'Angelo Russell. Uh, and then you throw in Karis LeVert, who obviously had a terrible injury to start the year. And they're missing for sure right now. Um, with him, they're probably, I, I would say, definitely a playoff team in the East. But um, you start to look at those pieces together and how young they are. Even throwing Rondé Hollis Jefferson, and I think they they start to have the mold of a, a a good playoff team in the East for many years to come. Um, and I think I think they've gotten the perfect mixture of like young skill players to go along with nice veterans. Like you have Mari Carroll. You have Ed Davis, Kenneth Reed, Jared Dudley, just solid guys thrown with that young core that can kind of show them the ropes while also still contributing a little bit. Like Ed Davis is actually the leading rebounder on their team while he comes off the bench, um, averaging eight and eight point six a game, and just the ultimate energizer bunny guy type, uh, along with Kenneth Reed, who doesn't play a ton, but they they both just kind of solidify that front court. And Jared Allen's a freak of nature. Um, I just really like the team they're starting to create. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what Sean Marks and Kenny Atkinson, so Sean Marks is their GM, Kenny Atkinson is their head coach, um, has been able to do with this team, with the limited assets they were given, um, has been incredible. Um, Jared Allen was a late first-round pick. Um, Karis LeVert was a late first-round pick. D'Angelo Russell they got for nothing. Um I mean, the way they've been drafting, the way they've been trading, um, and developing these assets by taking on bad contracts, um, and now next year their cap looks unbelievable, um, and they're going to turn a corner next year. Uh, I think they're going to be a, a playoff team for a long time. Uh, but yeah, a guy that we also uh, haven't mentioned yet, Alan Crabb, um, been battling a lot of injuries this year. Um, solid just wing. Uh, has a player option next year for $18.5 million. Um, he's 26, so it's tough for him. I don't know if he, he'll probably opt out just to get a longer deal. Uh, but I can I think they can sign him to a more team-friendly deal. But, yeah, I mean, this team um, has a lot of good pieces. Very smart in signing Ed Davis, Jared Dudley, um, Getting those type of players to, to mentor um, Jared Allen, to mentor Rondé Hollis Jefferson, to Carr, or, I mean, um, D'Angelo Russell, those kind of guys, show them what leadership looks like. Um, so when next year Jared Dudley's probably going to retire, um, it'll be tough to keep at Davis because of what he can bring to a play a, a championship cap contender. Um, so um, losing those guys this year, or this upcoming year will be tough, but I think they have all the pieces in place to 
to be a really tough team. Uh, I love the way they play. So uh, I like Brooklyn for the next, what, 10 years because of how young those guys are. Yeah, and one more one more player I want to throw out there that is going to mean a lot coming from me, um, but I think I believe he's their two-way guy, uh, Theo Pinson, who uh, obviously a North Carolina guy, which I said is why it means a lot coming from me, but um, he's a great, he's a ball-handling playmaker. That's a great defender. He's going to bring 110% every single play, let alone every single night. Um, he's... He's the type of guy you want on your team just because he does all the dirty work. He just, he's a Spencer Dinwiddie type player. Like He's just going to make the right play. Um, and he, I, I think he would be – I think he fits in the NBA as like a backup point guard, honestly, because he's not going to score it much. I mean, he's had a 40-point game recently in the G League, but that's just the G League, the way they play. Like you said, fast, and that's <laughs> he fits right in that mold. But um, he's the type of guy that – I, I could see it averaging like like a Rondo type, like average like eight points, eight assists, and just lock up somebody defensively and have such an impact on the game, even though the box score is not really going to show it. Um, so I think he fits into that young young pieces that they have right now. Also, yeah, yeah, that was a definitely a huge signing. Um, he went undrafted, um, and they took a chance on him, gave him a two way. Um, right now with the Long Island Nets, he's averaging twenty. Um, just about six rebounds and seven assists. Um, so does a ton on the floor. Uh, very good defender at 6'6 six, six and long. Um, I see him definitely almost in the uh, in a playmaking Andre Robertson type of role. Uh, where he'll start at the two, but really just guard whoever is their best player. Um, and then offensively just sort of fit in where they'll need him. Whether Russell's still there or Spencer Dinwiddie. Um, he can sort of play as a secondary ball handler there. Uh, but yeah, I really like that signing. And I think I think Russell's up for a contract, right? Yep. So like, even if they did lose him, I think Pinson can honestly, he's obviously not going to score it the way Russell can, but he can slide in and fill that need of a ball handler. Um, if you wanted to move, say, you move Dinwiddie to, you play Dinwiddie and Levert together in the starting lineup and then slide Pinson in as like the backup guard to come in, I think they could kind of they could like lessen the blow a little bit of losing a D-Lope type player. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's get into their draft and free agents. Um, so they have their own um, draft pick, which I think is going to fall sort of – I see their ceiling as a sixth seed um, in the East, which would likely be like the 17th, 18th pick. Um and then I could see them getting down all the way down to like nine or ten, so that's sort of like nine to eighteen range. Um, and then they they will get Denver's first round pick if it falls outside the top twelve, which of their pace um, they would have to have an absolute collapse for them to lose that pick. So anywhere from thirteen to thirty, likely around twenty five to thirty, and then they get Indiana's second round pick if it falls between thirty one and forty four. Um, so who do you got for them? So for their first round pick, um, the guy I think they could use some more wing help, and this is a guy I think they would get. He's been slipping a little bit in my opinion in the draft, just because he hasn't. I don't. I think people have really high expectations for him, and he hasn't quite gotten there yet. Um, still a super solid player, but I have DeAndre Hunter there. I don't know that they could get him if they make the the playoffs, because um, I think. Even if he doesn't play well the rest of the year, his upside is incredible with his body and his ability right now. 
Um, so another guy I think that they could possibly take a chance on around there would be like a Jonte Porter type player that uh, can make some plays for him as a big, but also can be hidden defensively by a guy like uh, by Jared Allen. Um, so those are two players I think I'm looking at in the first round. Yeah, uh, I think those are good, solid players. Um, I also had DeAndre Hunter. Um, if he slips to them, if not, I would say Bruno Fernando, uh, a big body that can take the burden of taking a, a heavy center like DeMarcus Cousins or Steven Adams, some of these big guys that Jaron Allen really struggles with. Um, and then if they go DeAndre Hunter, I would say go Goga, um, Bitsa. Uh, I know I'm butchering that, but um, a, a big man overplaying at Megalex. Um, very athletic, big body, 6'11", 250. Um, very skilled uh, and can really work well with Jared Allen because he can stretch the floor. Um, and then if they went Bruno, again, I'd say Chris Wilkes, someone in that late range, just a wing that they can develop. Yeah, and there's just another one to throw out there. Um, there's a kid at Stanford right now, KZ Akpala. That's a, I believe he's a sophomore. Really under the radar type of kid that I think fits the mold perfectly in Brooklyn. Just another does everything you want type of player. But he can also score it a little bit. Uh, not entirely sure he's going to come out this year, but if he does, I could see him as like a late first. Some team just trying to take a shot early second. Yeah. Uh, and I, again, think he fits the mold really well in Brooklyn. Yeah. Yeah, I can see him fitting in there really well. Um, now some free agents. So this is a homecoming for me, but I think the absolute home run would be, well, home run that I think is possible to actually happen would be Tobias Harris. Um, and then just to make life even harder for people, give them another athletic defender and a guy like Stanley Johnson. Yeah. I mean, those are two realistic options, especially now that the Jimmy Butler to the Clippers is getting louder and louder. Um, and then obviously the Kawhi ties. So if they they both end up going there, they don't have room for Tobias Harris. So I think the most logical next team would be Brooklyn, and that's also who I have. Um, obviously Durant, Clay Thompson would be perfect there. Um, also looking at Harrison Barnes, um, someone who can still score the ball. Um, he's actually having a really solid year. It's going very underrated. Um, and then. Another one would be Tyreek Evans, just another playmaker they can they can bring in. Um, yeah, I mean, anything else on the Brooklyn Nets? No, I think basically what we've been hitting on the whole time is that they're in a really good spot right now. Um, they've done a great job of stockpiling youth and talent, and basically if they just keep on the same trajectory and and keep hitting home runs, they're they're in for a really nice future. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so a quick break here, and we'll get into um, learning about the NBA CBA, um, get some picks and some trades. So stay with us. Is right, Dallas so making the okay. playoffs? No. Yes. You think so? I think they are. Man, oh, well, you got a lot of teams. Okay, they expanded, expanded the, writing them down they expanded the, the playoff field okay. in the West. All right, so we're going to get into the picks first. Um, we're going to pick for Monday, January 14th. Um, Zach, what's your first pick, or do you want me to go first? No, I can go. Uh, so I'm going to go with the Spurs against the Hornets. Um, Spurs are going to be at home tomorrow. Uh, Eight-and-a-half-point favorites right now. Hornets are on a five-game road trip. 
Um, that will be the sixth game of that road trip, which is the, the last game of it. And they've really struggled. I think they've lost four of five so far. Um, and the Spurs, I think, continue to, to look like the Spurs that we expected. Um, at least Michael and I both were shocked that people didn't think the Spurs were going to make the playoffs this year. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so Spurs minus eight and a half over the Hornets tomorrow. Yeah. Imagine betting against the Spurs. <laughs> it's like betting against Brady and Belichick, if you ask me. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's pretty silly that people thought they were gonna be a nine or ten seed, um, um, but yeah, I mean Charlotte with without Cody Zeller don't really have a big body outside of Billy Hernan Gomez that can handle what uh, Marcus Aldridge has been doing lately. I mean they did just lose big to the Thunder uh, was it last night, um, but that's the second game in three night uh, two nights that they played the Thunder. Um, so that's going to happen. They won a close one and then just got tired and lost the second one. That happens all the time. Um, so yeah, I mean, they're really on a roll right now. Uh, but for me, um, going with the first game of the night, um, Boston's playing at Brooklyn. Boston is in a lot of drama right now. Um, Kyrie has been very vocal with their lack of experience, not liking the way they're playing, um, had gotten into this sort of a, not not necessarily yelling at Brad Stevens, but after the timeout was up, not agreeing with the play up, the play he drew up. Um, and then at the end of the, the game last night, I think they lost to Orlando. Um, really upset with Jason Tatum and Gordon Hayward uh, for not running the play. So a lot of stuff going on with Boston right now. So I like... And they had, they had Jalen Brown and... Um... Marcus oh, and Moore, Marcus Moore, yeah, yeah, getting into it in the timeout. So, um, a lot of stuff going on with Boston right now. So, I think Brooklyn at home, uh, as a four and a half underdog, point underdog, um, I think that's a, a solid pick for tomorrow night. Yeah, that's either the type of game where they rally together and just hammer people or they just completely don't show up. Uh, and I think that. At least what we've seen so far, they've had a hard time coming together. So I think that Brooklyn would definitely be a safe bet there. Yeah, especially on their home court. Um, but let's jump into the trade. Rick, you've been trading. What's it like? Charlie, it's like coming home from school and your family moves. Um, so I had Zach pick a team that he wanted to see me trade with. Um, he picked the Brooklyn Nets to sort of stay with what we're talking about today. Um, so I have the Brooklyn Nets trading with Phoenix Suns. Um, sending out Kenneth Reed and D'Angelo Russell and getting back T.J. Warren, Josh Jackson, and Eli Okobo, plus a second-round pick from the Phoenix Suns. Yeah, so that gives the Suns the point guard they've been begging for for, it seems like, years now. Um, and obviously you get rid of Fareed, who isn't really doing anything on the bench. Uh, just for lack of minutes. Obviously, he's known as the manimal. I'm sure he can make plays if he gets a chance. But um, So they would get, yeah, so TJ Warren gives them a scoring wing that I think they could definitely use. I know they have Joe Harris right now, who's a lot better than he gets credit for. But um, I really like TJ Warren. I think he's he's a very underrated basketball player. And then they Josh Jackson is uh, he's someone that I think was – uh, he was definitely drafting on his potential. He's wasn't he wasn't great at Kansas. Kind of the Aaron Wig, or Andrew Wiggins. Excuse me, I'm going to do that all year long. Um, <laughs> yeah. The Andrew Wiggins type, where he has so much potential because of that, his athleticism and 
just never has gotten to that point yet. Um, but I think that's a solid young player to put into that group just because even if he doesn't ever reach what people think he could be, he's still going to bring you great athleticism, good defender, and just be able to make plays here and there. And he's done pretty well in like a uh, playmaking type role um, for the Suns at, at points this year. So I definitely think that that move, uh, I don't I don't know. I think it's possibly good enough to get them into the playoffs this year, like solidify it, but I think it's more so a good move for the future for them. Yeah. Um, so the thinking behind it, and I misspoke, the second round pick was going to the Phoenix Suns, so that the Indiana pick they were talking about. Um, the thinking behind this was Kenneth Freed wants out, uh, wants to prove that he can still play. Um and thinking, I mean, they can easily re-sign D'Angelo Russell with their cap space. Um, but to get a bunch of young players back for him, um, this is sort of punting on the, the upcoming free agency, not thinking they can get anybody. So taking a chance on Josh Jackson and Eli Okobo, who's a very good young point guard um, that I think can develop into a solid player, especially as a backup to, to Dinwiddie and Levert. Uh, but, yeah, taking a shot on Josh Jackson – um, I know they have Rondé Hollis Jefferson, which they're they're very similar type players. Um, but if one of them can pan out, or if they can't resign Hollis Jefferson, they have him. And then T.J. Warren, I think, is very underrated in the NBA. Um, brings a lot of scoring, and he's on a very friendly deal. Um, I mean, he's making around eleven to twelve million throughout the the next three years. So, um, might as well sell low on that. So. Um, uh, that that was my thinking behind the trade. Yeah, I think that's again whatever can get the Saints a point guard. I think they're ready to pull the trigger. The Saints, yeah, I know the Saints. Are the Saints? Yeah, that's wow. That shows me where I am right now. <laughs> Starts yeah. with an S. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just wrong city. Um, yeah, and uh, whole side of the country, everything. It's, it's not close really at all. <laughs> Um, so let's just jump into sort of what we're going to start doing now with the, the NBA side of the podcast is teaching a little bit about uh, collective bargaining agreement, the salary cap, how that all, all that confusing stuff works. Um, so. Oh, back to school, back to school to prove to dad that I'm not a fool. I got my lunch packed up. My boots tied tight. I hope I don't get in a fight. Oh, back to school. Back to school. Back to school. Stuff works. Um, so figure to start small. Um, and what is the salary cap? Um, so with the NBA, the salary cap is the amount of money that you can spend on your players. Um, there's a salary floor, and then there's a the salary ceiling, so the salary cap. Um, this year, wow, I should have had this pulled up. Um, <laughs> the salary, so the way the way it works is the team has to reach a salary floor. Um, so they have to pay their players a certain amount of money if they're below that. However much they're below it will have to be dispersed among their players evenly. Um so for the 2018-19 season, the salary cap is <clears throat> $101.9 So that's the most that the 
quote unquote most, it's a soft cap. And what a soft cap means is you can't spend more than the 101.9 million. But if you do, there's penalties for doing it. Um, the salary cap floor, um, so what they have to spend is 91.682 million. So whatever they're below that, they would have to disperse among their players, their current players. Um, now there's also a luxury tap, tax, sort of. What what that means is if a team goes over that, they have to pay a quote unquote tax. It's more of a fee, um, based on the amount that they're over. So the luxury tax is at one hundred twenty three point seven three three million. Um, so whatever the team is over, they'll have to pay a certain amount of dollars per dollar that they're over. Um, so for example, the, the Portland Trailblazers this year, their total cap sheet's at 131.747 million. So they're about 8 million over. Um, so of that 8 million, they'll pay an additional, it's like a dollar to a dollar 75 per dollar they're over, um, if that makes sense. Does the does the um, tax multiply, like, if you're over consecutive years, does it increase? Yeah, so there's a repeater tax um, penalty, um, which we'll get into at a later date, get deeper into that. Um, but, yeah, if you go, multiple, go over multiple years, the luxury tax, that price that you pay per dollar over goes up. And we'll get into those specific numbers later. Um but the reason the NBA has a soft salary cap is it allow because it allows teams to re-sign the players that they have. So this is called the the Bird exception. Um, so it started obviously back with Larry Bird. Um, in order for Boston to re-sign him, they would have had to gone over the salary cap. So there's different types of Bird exceptions, um, and then there's different types of if you're over the tax, you get certain. Um, but certain exceptions that allow you to sign players to get to that certain player number that they need to have. So they need to have 13 players signed. Um, and we'll get into that more. But understanding that just a salary cap is soft, so it allows teams to re-sign their players. Um, they can't. They have to get to that salary floor, and then they have the luxury tax where they start paying even more penalties. And, and basically the overall goal of the salary cap is to just try to keep some sort of parity in the league and have have teams spend money and all teams should have uh, a salary within the same uh, 20-ish million or so. Um, and obviously you pay the better players more money generally. Um, so it, it, it's basically just constructed to try to create teams that are equal. Obviously the it's much more difficult than it really sounds. Um, but that's obviously the main goal of the salary cap is just to create as much parity as possible. Yeah, and, and ultimately give the small markets a chance um, because the big market teams, their owners are making billions of dollars. So, I mean, they could realistically have the Cough, top, cough, baseball. Yeah, they could have the top 15 players. And, and so um, it really gives the, the, the smaller markets a chance. Um, very intricate, and that's why we're going to start teaching this 
um, because when you see trades happen, um, you want to understand why they happen. So um, look out for that. Let us know what you think about that. Um, anything else you want to talk about? No, just thanks for being patient with us. <laughs> We're trying to figure it out as we go, obviously. Um, but hopefully you like this new uh, college basketball and then NBA podcast separately. Um, gives you gives us a little bit more of a chance to focus on each one, and hopefully you get more of a chance to focus on whichever you like more, or ideally both. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, keep listening. Let us know, um, and we'll see you back here at the um, sort of middle end of the week. Show up, get out on the floor. All I wanna know, can we turn this thing out?